0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with an architect that is single-handedly redefining what is possible in modern residential architecture. Really, this is Paul McLean. Paul McLean is one of those rare individuals who knew what he wanted to do at a very young age. Rarer still, he is one of those individuals who grew up to change that space into his vision of what it should be. McLean grew up in Ireland and made his way to Southern California by way of Sydney, Australia. His work uses clean lines, site-specific features that make the most of water, and given space available to maximize every opportunity, sometimes more, sometimes less, always distinct. You can see McLean's fine lines woven through space and structure in the most seamless and unapologetically spectacular ways. McLean's work is inspirational, aspirational, and if nothing else, makes you wonder, what if? Thanks for downloading, streaming, and subscribing to this episode of the podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do, so you don't miss a single episode of the show, like this one, with master architect Paul McLean. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zenger a progressive brand that was built on a promise to provide designers, architects, and homeowners with the right materials to do their very best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But it's more than that. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program that makes the specifying process simple with the support you need. They've been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. In 2020, I launched a series in partnership with Walker Zenger called The Showroom. This intimate interview series showcases some of the very best creatives in the business today. Please join us live or catch every episode recorded so you can enjoy it on your schedule. Walker Zenger is on the cutting edge of design featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. So check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online. WalkerZenger.com I do love to have the conversation about living in Southern California, and there's just two things that you used to not be able to complain about. One was the weather, and the other was traffic. It's like you just sort of have to (laughs) live, you get the weather, you have to deal with the traffic. Now, post-COVID, we have much less traffic, but the weather has become seriously an obstacle for quality of life
1: true that's that's true well hopefully it's i mean hopefully it's temporary and um that's i am a a big believer in global warming but i i don't mean it that way i just sometimes think there's also this cyclical nature and i really hope that we'll see next year maybe the weather will become milder again not you know you know what i mean josh i'm not trying to um (laughs) Yeah, you know, I, I, it's kind of hard to say that because there's so many people doing misinformation these days, you know. But there is still a cyclical nature to weather as opposed to climate, right?
0: Well, here's the thing, and I like that you bring this up. I feel like there is a certain political correctness where because everybody is so sensitive right now, justifiably so, but because everybody is so is so sensitive right now it becomes impossible to to speak one's opinion if it's counter to what everyone who you're around feels at the time. That being said, I also feel like the one thing that I think is almost universal as a takeaway in 2020 is that our homes, our dwellings, our surroundings are more important than they ever have been in, in the past. And that being said, who better to have that real conversation than designers and architects?
1: Correct. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a really good point. And perhaps the way things have worked out in 2020 uh, have really helped us uh, understand. Um, I'm sorry, Josh. I tried to get some air going, and now the car is turning on. Apologies.
0: Listen, wait. Before you go, before you go <laughs> on, Paul, I, I just want you to know it's really interesting when I started the podcast my background's in radio and broadcast. So I always I love a good conversation that has really good high quality audio. At the same time, I've never been one of those people that believes that life doesn't actually happen in and around us. <laughs> and I've, I've done so many of, of, my, of my conversations from design houses where they're sawing and banging to, you know, the, the design center where you got people moving stuff and talking and echoes. And it's just, part, it's, it's part of life. And we just have more obstacles. We have different obstacles now uh, than we did last year. And I guess that's part of the process too, is being able to adapt, Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's it's funny. I think I I had a project I was working on recently in the Middle East and every time I connected with with the people over there, it was like a Zoom video conference from my car. <laughs> and, mm. um, you know, sometimes from all sorts of parking lots around the country. And, you know, there comments, do you really have an office in the end or do you just sit in your car all day? And I'm like, no, but it is, you just have to try and adapt. And, and I, but going back to our earlier point, I, I do feel like the combination, especially for us here in Southern California, I mean, we have some enormous advantages here in, in terms of, the climate that we live in uh, mostly and uh that's that's been interesting this year because it's kind of worked against us a little bit too but i think if we step back from this particularly you know terrible year uh not just in terms of covid but for us here in california in terms of climate as well and all the fires and the bad air quality um i think that it's been really interesting to see how people have been forced to 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 spend time in their homes, but it's given them the opportunity to see what works and what doesn't work. And uh, I think we've all had to learn to be a little bit more tolerant, like you mentioned, of, of the environment we're in. There's been plenty of meetings we've had this year, which have been stopped because a certain five-year-old felt like they needed to join the meeting as well, for example.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
0: Right. And you
1: know, I, I was just talking to um, my own kids are are you know late teenagers, so they barely talk to us at the best of times, uh, unless they want money, of course. But um, the uh, I was talking to a planner at uh, Beverly Hills yesterday, and he was just telling me, you know, he's dealing with a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home, and. I said, you know, you're gonna look back in a couple of years and despite the, the challenges you faced this year of working from home and dealing with all of that, you, it's gonna be it's so, it's so precious that you had this time when, you're, when your children were little that you could spend more time with them and you could take those breaks and and play games and whatever in between your workday, e- even though at the same time, the other challenge it's brought up is like, where does the workday end and where does, it, you know, where does it begin, right?
0: Boy, it's true. Uh, and it's funny too, because I have uh, older teenagers as well and I completely <laughs> relate to what you're saying at the same time, it has, it has forced that, that close contact, um, which has been, hasn't been bad. I think it's, it's really been great. And, and to your point, learning how to live within these spaces. But here's what's interesting too, and I'm curious as to your take. I feel as though uh, m- many of the byproducts of 2020 were not necessarily new, but they've amplified what was already right. there. Right, right. So I agree. yeah, and with regard to living in one's home, you know, here in Southern California, I think we can use as a as a as a case study because, you know, traffic is a serious issue. Traffic is a problem. When I was the general manager of Playboy Radio, I, I live in the South Bay. I would right. commute I would commute to the far end of Burbank 36 miles as the crow flies, but it took me an hour and a half to two hours to make that drive each way.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And,
0: so I started to look at ways that I could, you know, if I can take a, two Fridays a month, if I could take one day a week, a Wednesday where I didn't have to go in, it so increased the quality of life. But at the same time, the house was not, was not made for work, home, school, a- and everything that goes along with it. Yeah,
1: that's very true. I feel too, uh, we, we've, you know, we usually spend two Days out of the week driving up to Los Angeles from Orange County, and like yourself, it's again it's thirty miles as a crow flies to to Beverly Hills or to you know West LA from where our office is. But it has on its worst days it would be two hours. Um, but and we used to go up very early in the morning to avoid traffic. But. Today, right now, it's like 45 minutes to Westwood from the office pretty much any time in the morning. And it's incredible the difference that makes. But but we have learned, I think, that... Uh, we're trying to be more disciplined. I mean, do we really need to spend two days a week in traffic or can we make it one day plus a series of zoom calls? You know, and I think that's been a, that's one of the things that will come out of this. I I do feel like COVID in general, it's been a great accelerator of many things. And I think that's what happens once in a while when things, you know, go wrong in the world. It's not necessarily that um, it's all negative, but, there's, it, it can also lead to things that were already happening, for example, like the problems with retail in general are accelerated by by COVID. And it's something that people that we've been talking to, planners uh, in cities, uh, about how are we going to cope with our downtowns? How are they going to be changed? Not just by COVID, they were changing already. But this thing comes along and just pushes um, things in a direction that they were already going it's like gives them a hard shove into the future and a client of mine who's a music producer talked a lot about that it's it's like in the music industry there's all sorts of things have come out of this like uh, you know music stars that are doing concerts in video games uh, and this is the creativity part of it's like how do we solve the problem that um, you know we we can't uh, have a concert, a live concert. Well, what if you do it inside a video game? And uh, I think uh, people have been. I think it was Chance the Rapper or Tyler, the Creator did that. Was incredibly successful, and so we're going to see a lot of things, not necessarily just in the architecture and interior design field, but ar- around our whole way of life that we just moved up. Like no one. Thought about doing Zoom calls or the equivalent. I mean, they were you know five, seven, ten years ago, the technology probably wasn't there to do it right. But but now it's become a, a, a part of our life, right?
0: It has. Backing up a second, I'm curious, how have the events of 2020 changed the way that you view the idea of home and the way that a, a home is constructed and what it's designed to fun- and how it's designed to function?
1: Well, I think from something that we in our firm have been aware of for a long time, obviously we do really contemporary modern homes. And one of the things about modern homes is they tend to be very open and connected to the outdoors. And, and that's one of the things that drives our work and that we're extremely passionate about. But the, the, the opposite side of that is like the issue of privacy. And um, that's been something we've been quite aware of for a while. And because we've generally tended to build bigger homes uh, in the, in the, that's the way our practice kind of gone in the last 10 years that the homes have kind of grown bigger and we have we're very fortunate to have some great clients and, and to be able to do beautiful homes but I often think of things more in terms of public versus private versus kitchen versus dining area you know so and I think that's something that's going to that everyone is going to have to think about in whatever scale of home that they're working on is that what is public space and what is private space within the area you're working on and how will that be used and to be more deliberate in our thinking about it and, and one example since we spoke about them is those teenagers you know that um, there is this idea that you know they tend to t- teenagers tend to disappear off into their own world and they tend to spend a lot of time in their own rooms and you know sometimes the way we've traditionally designed homes it has led to people having to go in that direction that the only there's one public space which is maybe a great room but if there isn't a second public space in the house and where do people go except to their bedrooms? You know, so th- to thinking about that way, like where are children gonna do their homework? Um, if if where where are people gonna have a work conversation? Which spaces can double up for those type of functions? But what it really comes down to is, you know, how can you do two public things in a home versus one public thing in a home? And I think that's something that a lot of design neglects um, and that this virus has brought to the forefront because we're all stuck at home. It's like as everyone's sitting on their beds in their bedrooms trying to have Zoom calls because that's the only place in the home that they can possibly do that in privacy. So that's something people have to think about. And it doesn't mean that you need two home offices plus a library plus you know a whole series of rooms. It just means that because everyone is learning to be flexible as well around each other and to, to accommodate each other better, which I think is also a good thing. But maybe it's like a covered outdoor area, especially in this climate where you can go and where it's quiet enough that you can have a conversation or that you can do some work while in the public part of the house, people are doing more fun things. I think that's something that's really important. Also, I think the other thing that I really see, and we're again very fortunate here, that we can do this as much as we can in Southern California because of the climate, but outdoor space. And it's, it's really been interesting to me and, and concerning as well to see that for a lot of people, especially perhaps here where you know we have more space and access to the outdoors you know just how how important that is to our overall health uh, but for many people around the world during this crisis they 've been stuck in in apartments you know on the upper levels of buildings with no access to outdoors and very little access to light and air and that That must be crippling, I think, uh, mentally for people Um, and can only, you know, make the problems of trying to deal with a family in a small space much worse. Uh, If you can open a door and the little ones can run outside and just scream and shout a little bit safely, I mean, you know, the tension for the entire family will will drop. So I, I feel like we have to, as a community, be very mindful of that going forward. If we're going to be building new... Um, you know, projects and houses and apartment blocks, we have to really think about access to light and air and the exterior. And how can we do that in a way for everybody, not just for people who have, you know, better means?
0: Well, and it, this is one of the reasons I really do enjoy having this conversation with you. And I, and I like, I love actually that you brought up the, those elements, because I think it's, it's of critical importance. I, I totally agree with you. I think that Um, something that we're dealing with now. And by the way, these are, these conversations are, are all, you know, call them academic. Um, And when you start talking about climate change and you want to, this is completely divorced from the political side of it. There are, there are changes taking place. They are undeniable changes. If someone wants to argue about what causes the changes fine, have at it. That's not what we're doing. But, you know, go go do it on Facebook and and upset all your friends and get in arguments. <laughs> it's all good. I, I, I choose not to participate. The one thing that you cannot hide from, though, is quality of life. There is a direct correlation between quality of life and air quality, water quality, yes. noise pollution. There is a there is a sense of satisfaction. There is a sense of peace and tranquility when you know that you're drinking water that's not going to poison you, when you're breathing air that's not going to give you respiratory issues, when you don't have a lawnmower and a dog barking constantly throughout the day trying to school or work. Um, these, are, these are real issues that one cannot hide from. And what's interesting too is, Paul, I mean, you, you create incredible projects. Uh, At the same time, it doesn't matter how incredible a project is, it's not impenetrable. These these issues of air and water and noise, these fundamental building blocks of peace and tranquility, they exist. And I think that if anything, we've learned this year, I mean, look, I, I record a podcast from inside a home right now. I used to love going out and doing these in person and I look forward to the day when I get to do it again and there'll be a siren and there'll be a truck driving by and it, it always happens. But I definitely have to uh, organize, close the windows when I'm doing this. I need to know what days my neighbors are getting their yards mowed. And I do. <laughs> I know who's got, I know kid patterns. I know dog patterns. I know traffic patterns. I know lawnmower patterns these are things that we have to that we have to live with and i think one of the most amazing and remarkable things that architects in particular and designers in general do is that they look at a problem and then they figure out how to how to solve it and i imagine that right now that is a that's a that's an issue that's on on your radar as well
1: Very much. And um, I mean, just talking, as you said, about these basic concepts of light and air and pollution. I mean, you know, I've lived in Southern California for 25, 26 years, something like that. And I can remember when I first came here in uh, the mid 90s, you know, going up to LA and not being able to see the skyscrapers when you're walking on the streets because of the smog in the air. And, you know, just seeing the direct impact of what the, the Clean Air Act has done in this state and the efforts that people have made in this state to clean up our air. And then here we are this year and we're, it's kind of like, it reminds me of those times like in the 80s and 90s in California, that's what the air quality was like. So so there's a really positive lesson there is like with, with the right approach as a community, we can solve these problems. And And I also think before we get into the more specifics that, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, people can go and they can scream about the theories of things on Facebook or whatever, but, you know, there's, there's lots of good reasons for doing the things that we do in architecture um, for environmental sustainability that, you know, don't even have to get into the discussion about whether you believe in climate change or not, because if if you go back in time and look, people have been designing passive uh, design and for climate control well, since they started building buildings, I mean they were really smart. Uh, we were recently in dubai and you know the old buildings in Dubai incorporated wind tunnels or wind chimneys. I'm sorry, I apologize. That would pull in the hot air and then suck it out the top of the building to create like natural ventilation. And they did this in these buildings that were made of adobe and uh, and mud, and they were cool, naturally cool inside. Even though, as we know, it's like in the 40s Celsius or the 110s in the summer, they could actually live in that climate because they were using passive solar design. Um, and I think that you can even pe- tell people about like, how much money they'll save on energy costs by just passively designing a building. And not only then does it contribute to its environment, create its own power. Uh, a lot of these things aren't necessarily expensive. Uh, you know, just it's a, it's a matter of how you create openings, how you create overhangs. And what they really do is create pleasant environments that people have enjoyed for thousands of years. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be packaged in the way about climate science and whether you believe in it or not. And, and I'm very much believing in climate science. I don't want anyone to have the impression that I do not. But uh, even the idea of energy uh, and renewable energy makes makes people in this country then less reliant on energy coming from other places, makes us less reliant on, uh, you know, when problems happen. Uh, you know, if we, if we are creating our own power on our own building and storing it there, then when we have blackouts, we still have power. Uh, when we have problems in, in the world infrastructure to do its supply and demand, we're independent. You know, these are great, you know, goals for any community to strive Towards regardless of their opinions of climate science.
0: It's absolutely true, and, and I'm curious. I, I wanted to talk about the work a little bit because I think the I think the work is spectacular. And when did you when did you publish your book? Was because I'm getting my I'm getting all my dates jumbled. Was it 2019 or was it 2020? It was it was 2019. Um, okay. which I only know.
1: Josh because I went on book tours and book signings and you couldn't do that in covid otherwise I'd be as confused as you are
0: <laughs> I, I know right it's it's by the way I've it's lost funny track of time. <laughs> I, I I have totally lost track of time as well I think that's something that I'm I'm looking forward to that coming back it's it's so funny too because you want to have meetings and you got to have meetings and we've got these meetings scheduled but you know if you're sitting at home in your comfy yoga pants and you're not actually <laughs> in an office <laughs> it's very easy to miss a meeting um, true. <laughs> yeah. In talking about the work, I think, I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, having these conversations as often as I do and talking about, I, I believe firmly that, that architecture really is a language. You know, you hear architecture is a language and it's, it's, it, it's treated as a language. And I think it should. I think what, what most don't factor into it are the regional dialects you know and and the the countries of origin and all of the influencing factors that that affect a language and i think our architecture is certainly subject to to that as well and i think that you can always tell who's speaking it sort of by their history so you you started the company in 2000 correct correct yes how did you how did you wind up there and how did you wind up here? What was the, what was the path? Did you, because it, I, I imagine, you know, strong architecture created by an artist, by an architect. You could very easily have a style that was, you could do traditional, you could do Spanish revival, you could do, I, I imagine you could focus exclusively on industrial if that's what you wanted to do. How did you wind up here?
1: Gosh, I, so it's interesting, but it also, also almost sounds like a cliche, but i I really wanted to be an architect since I was a very little boy, like four or five years old, and I have always been interested in housing, which basically just interested in in housing and um, it is interesting i, I don 't know why I mean I grew up in suburban Dublin in a tiny little row house and had no experience of architecture, had no architects in my family but Just from the time I was four or five, according to my mom, um, I always wanted to be an architect. And um, I went to school and all I did was draw pictures of houses in my art classes. And, uh, (laughs) you know, they try and make me draw other things. I occasionally tolerate the, the odd still life, but then I just go back to drawing houses again. And, you know, along the way, I, I do remember we we you know we had this library obviously local library and it had a very small architectural section maybe like ten books, and uh, but there was a Frank Lloyd Wright book and and I found that probably when I was nine or ten years old and and I remember you know I still remember like the the almost the shock of like like this is a house too <laughs> you know it's like for me it was like like a revelation. And um, as, I, as I got older and as I got into architecture school, I, I discovered this phenomenal history of contemporary architecture in modern architecture in Southern California. And it seemed to me like this was a place where, where people were doing the, the architecture that I loved, and the openness and uh, the glass, the views, the connection to nature. All those things were, were feasible here in a way that they were not so feasible in a lot of other places, and it seemed like the, the combination of how Los Angeles developed and the various uh, layering of the city and the different industries that happened here, like between Hollywood and aerospace and oil and gas, and uh, you know, people were just coming here for for a hundred years, like searching for a new beginning, and they took that into architecture. And you know, you you look around; it's such an amazing history, not just of modern contemporary design, but of you know, uh, you know Mediterranean design and uh, the houses you see in Hancock Park, places like that. The different styles, the different textures that people developed. It's like there are these fantasies. You came here to a blank slate, and you could create your fantasy, whatever that was. So, so there's something very appealing about Southern California. And when I when I finished university, I happened to have a friend who lived in Laguna Beach at the time. So I decided to head out here and see some of this for myself. And uh, ended up working for different architects for four or five years. And you know, first couple of years I was doing different types of architecture jobs, but always with the goal of getting into contemporary housing. And uh, you know, basically that's how it began. And um, I still haven't lost that interest in, in homes. I, I still find but they are unique programmatically from an architecture perspective, and I, I think sometimes people don 't realize, but homes are very complicated compared to many types of architecture. Um, obviously, large buildings you know, can be uh, you know like a, a train station or an airport can be complicated programmatically, but many large buildings, office blocks, and cathedrals are not complicated in terms of programmatically they, they serve a function. Uh, While homes have to be many, many, many things and many things to many people. So there's a, I have a fascination with that. And I do, I do like people. I do like meeting people. I do like, I'm interested in other people interested in their lives and how they, how they, you know, how they've become who they are. And we try and reflect that in our architecture, reflect our clients and their ideas. So for me, it kind of is a good fit dealing with people and, um, dealing with the p- complexity of the program. And also I think um, you have to have a certain mindset to do residential architecture that's maybe a little different than other types of architecture. Because for most people, building a home is something they often just do one time in their, house, in their whole life. And you know, it's a very expensive undertaking. And to build a custom home from scratch, it's something that unfortunately not many people get to do but it is uh, still the biggest decision financially they're probably gonna make in their life. And so it's also very nerve wracking as well as being exciting. And, And they tend to only do it once. So it's a different scenario than say, you know, a corporation that's building office blocks for its employees or whatever, but they might do this several times. Once every five or ten years, they redo it and they have a process for it. Most people build just one home and they can be, as I said, terrified and excited at the same time. And that's part of our job is, you know, to manage that process and help them through it and make it a make it a, a, a joyful and harmonious experience.
0: And it's interesting too, you mentioned Frank Lloyd Wright who said, and my friend Brett Parsons shared this quote with me that, that Frank Lloyd Wright said, you know, with regard to creating a a dwelling, that it not be on the land, but of the land. And I think that it all starts with, with site placement. And one one of the things that I think is really interesting and fascinating about you and your work because your work is extraordinary. We're going to talk about a, a couple of the projects, and I, I would encourage, because this is a podcast and it's audio, that anyone who wants to sort of follow along with us, go to mcleandesign.com, click on projects, and you can sort of walk through some of these things with us. But in looking at a number of the projects that you have on your site and seeing some in person and, and going through your book and you know, just understanding the work that you do, it's really interesting because... If you had a quarter acre, a half an acre, a full acre, 10 acres in the same regional zone, I don't know that you would necessarily put the house in a different part of the site. I don't know that you'd reshape it on the site in, in much of the work that you do. It's like, it's, it is meant to be there, but it's, you're also hamstrung a little bit because here in Southern California, our lots are so small even even the the high end luxury lots are much smaller than they would be if they were in say you know outside of Austin or Dallas or Houston or you know any of the other areas in the in the midwest or the south so i'm curious have you always had this keen understanding for how how to site plan and how to put the dwelling because you know not all architects can do that some are great putting together a, an idea of a home, but not placing it in an environment. Has that always been something, does that come easy for you?
1: Well, it's, it's a great question because uh, yes and no. Um, is the short answer. Yes or no. Does it come easy? Yes or no. I mean, I feel like our homes, the way we design them, are, are completely of the site. Uh, I mean, every house, we start by looking at the site and seeing how we relate to it. So we don't come with an idea of a building or a concept and place it on the site. We start with the site and then we we decide based on what we see. Where to place things, so there is no preconceived notion of a house. So I, I would um, actually respectfully disagree with you on that comment because if the site is a quarter acre, half acre, an acre, uh, it, it completely changes each time because there are other things to consider. Um, so in some ways, it is interesting. We 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 are lucky to be able to work on lots of different sites and different places now. Uh, but in some ways, those ones, those, those suburban sites in, in California can often be easier because of those restrictions, which is interesting. So, you know, you find this site and it's like, okay, well, there's a view in this direction, uh, the streets in another direction. So access will come from this side, view will be the opposite side site then we have this concept we use called spatial editing where we look around to find out what are the things that we like and what are the things that we don't like so every every site has its advantages and disadvantages but you'll often find maybe there's there's a busy noisy street in one direction um, or a power pole um, or a neighboring property that you really don't want to see and we look at ways of editing them out in a way the way like in a way film you know, a, a director might look in a certain direction. We try and direct the visuals that you see, and the, including sound. So if we have a noisy street, we may use uh, barriers, you know, both audio and visual to to screen that. So there was a house we did once on a very busy street in Brentwood, and uh, it was on San Vicente. And, you know, the noise was severe at certain times of day. So we started with, you know, a visual Uh, barrier in terms of vegetation. Then we hit a wall within the vegetation because no one wants to look at walls. Uh, And then we created a drive court and then we created a screen that separated the drive court from the house itself. We added water elements, which, you know, moving water for noise. So by the time you you went through this sequence of entry, you get to the front door, you're not even aware of the street anymore. You can't hear it. You can't see it. It's gone. And um, so so that you can do this process of editing. We often also will place water features because they're restricting, almost like a moat, right? You can't walk over the water, so you have to stop at the edge of the water. and We can use the body of it, the water itself to screen out maybe a house down below that nobody wants to see. So you get the view, but you don't get the visual and negativities in the foreground and you, you create this serene space for someone. So in some ways working on sites that are constricted, you can very quickly identify all of those things. When when you're given a blank slate, uh, right now I'm looking at a, I'm starting a project in Santa Barbara on a hill stop that's you know two acres flat with a 360 degree view it's like wow where do we go here because <laughs> you know, there's so many more options and uh, but they slowly the, the options develop like there's the channel islands and they, that's the focal point of the view even though it has a 360 degree view it, it has views that are more primary it has a view of the harbor Santa Barbara that should be the main view from the living room we have more options in terms of approach uh, we can sequence how people people move through the property differently because we have space and, and that is also something Josh that's we, we are really interested in architecturally is is I think talking about emotional resonance or connection to to a project it's not just it's not just a house or a home um, I think it's important for me personally that the home has to be a beautiful place and a restful place, but it is important to remember that it is just just a home. It's not your life, you know. Sometimes I think us architects can get ahead of ourselves and we can be so involved in our concepts that, you know... The concept can overrule everything and become. it can get in the way of living. So it's always important that the plan be practical and make sense and that people can move through it and enjoy it. Because no matter how beautiful it is, if it doesn't work practically, they're going to get very annoyed with it very fast when they're living there. if If they have to walk up and down like four steps from the garage and walk back down another four steps to get to the kitchen with the groceries, that will become really annoying very fast. No matter how pretty it looked in the drawing so so that's that 's another aspect of this that um, it has to be practical, but going back to that point about emotional connection, I mean it, to me there is no point in doing this unless you can you, people can really enjoy the space and really love it and want to be there and it 's also in this time that we live in uh, it 's really important that you know our lives are so busy and our lives are so full of noise and I mean not just noise in terms of you know noises like the lawn or the dog barking I mean noise in terms of noise on Facebook noise on the internet you know uh, busyness everywhere 24 7 news cycles um, we want to try and create places that help people separate from that a little bit um, and for me entrance is often a big part of that like when you come home there needs to be a way to enter the house that brings a sense of calm that makes you disconnect a little bit from that world you 've just come out of and kind of empty your mind a little bit, so we often use courtyards and bridges and uh, water features to create a sense of space as you enter that just helps you kind of you know decompress from all that
0: it 's interesting as I hear you talking and it's funny. I actually think we agree. I, I don't think we're disagreeing on this at all. I, I think that I'm. I, what I find so interesting, though, is how you were describing San Vicente. And is that the San Vicente project that you have on your website? Just you may not know what's yes. on the website. Yes, yes, okay. it is.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay,
0: so that's actually one of the one of the projects I was going to ask you about because <laughs> yeah. it it is. When I when I saw this, I I was I sort of I had a feeling of falling water. I had kind of like this. It reminded me. It wasn't it wasn't like trying to replicate it or it was just it, it it reminded me of that because of the water feature and because of the walk in through to the entrance. And what I think is interesting is, were you in you know suburban or or rural Atlanta building this same project? all of the things that you had to do to mitigate the noise from a street like San Vicente, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had to do. And I, and I think that, you know, I'm trying to figure out if it's, and I think it's different for everyone is what I'm getting from you, but whether it's easier or more challenging based on if you've got more space or less space, because if you know what your restrictions are, then it, you don't, there's, that's not fun. You know, you can't, you can't, it's not flexible. It is what it is and you just have to work within it. But I think having the ability to do all of these different things. Now, I, I love this, this house on San Vicini. I love that from the perspective that you're taking the image it, you have a lot of glass a lot of openness but it it still seems somewhat secluded and private and I feel like that's that's the secret sauce in it is is the balance is it not
1: it is it's very much um it, it is the balance I mean the, you know there's a we had a client once and uh, who's a, a well-known film star we had this problem that she loved our houses and she loved views but you know when you, when you love houses and views, that means people can see you too and uh, so <laughs> right. that's a problem we never could figure out but but right. it is the thing it's it is really important that the balance of uh the feeling of openness with the with privacy if you don't have one the other doesn't work and uh, but i think your point it's a really great point that to me these are not uh negatives in a way. They're challenges and uh, the challenges and the client's program are what dictate the design. So I, I don't come into a design with any preconceived notions. And I think part of that is being lucky enough to do this for a long time and to have, like my, I think, my own sense of style. So I don't ever worry about what the house is going to look like. You know what I mean, Josh? It's like the house is going to look like what it looks like and for me, it's like, okay, how am I gonna solve these challenges and the client's expectations? And then, you know, it's, it's rare that I think when you put all that together, I mean, I guess that is the secret sauce, how so you put that all together, and then at the end of it, voila, there's this house. But there was no idea going into it what this house was gonna look like, uh, if that makes sense. It's just like, all of these things make this project. And I think that's interesting why sometimes it is easier on a more constrained site, the, the more constraints you have, the quicker you come up with responses to those constraints. And you shouldn't be afraid of those constraints because they're going to help you create something. Uh, versus if you give me, you know, 20 acres on a flat site in, in Kansas with no natural features around it, there is, um, okay, I'm gonna have to go in a different direction. I'm gonna, there's gonna be a lot more thinking to, but, but then again, you know, even that, like, you already, the first thing you start with is the sun, Josh, you know, where is the sun and what is the climate, right? So you already, there's some constraints right there and some things to work with. And then there's got to be an entrance somewhere to that site, right? So, so you're either coming from the north, the south, the east, the west. And, you know, the light in the morning and the east is going to be different to the light in the west. And it's going to be different in summer to winter. So there is a whole bunch of things that automatically come up that are gonna help you design this house. And then your client's gonna come along and say, well, I need these requirements. And before you know it, you're, you're figuring out that, you know, they've got three kids and they want the kids as far as possible away from the master bedroom. And that's, you know, and on you go. And before you know it, you've got all these constraints that are gonna help you come up with hopefully a beautiful design. And that's the, the tricky part, you know, just pulling that all together.
0: So it's really interesting as As you're talking, I'm sort of working through the process with you, and that is that by the way is the is the most fun for me as someone just having the conversation about it, but I imagine it is for you as well the person who's who's actually doing it i I think your your point about you know Kansas and a plane and just a big white sheet of paper where you you know now you have to figure out where on the desk it is and where you want to start but I feel like it used to be just L.A., but it really is Southern California in, in particular is kind of like just and always has been treated like this huge etch-a-sketch. You know, we'll, 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 tr- <laughs> yes. we'll try something and if it doesn't work, you know what, we're just going to shake it out and we're going to start all over again. Even in Orange County, you know, the first Wrigley Field. Baseball Park was was built in Orange County, you know, which is the, which was the, the original, I want to say it was the original home of the Angels who then moved and then it was going to be the Dodgers, but they moved to Chavez Ravine. But that was in Orange County where people think, well, nothing really happened in Orange County until after it happened in LA. That's not necessarily true. But I do feel sure. yeah. like this idea, and it's interesting too to me that Southern California architecture really started with these solid... 2 foot thick walled adobes with very little interior light you know and very challenging to 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 create the interiors that's you know that was the start of southern california architecture and you look at it now and we've we've just completely flipped it upside down where it, the idea of what's what's possible can be completely open you talk about the the privacy issue and the element to it. I'm and I'm looking at on your website, the Bel Air Project, and I just there's a gorgeous water feature. There's an amazing view, which you seem to have captured everything. It looks like there's a motor court down below. Um is that a waterfall? Is, Is that a waterfall? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So there's a motor court, but then I'm also looking at the second floor and I'm looking into a bathroom with 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 a tub against the window. Now, I don't see the other side of it or what privacy features are put in place, but to your point, you know, these are all things that, that seem like wonderful problems to try to solve.
1: They are. I mean, they really are. Like behind that, in that, in that Bel Air project, that water feature is like 200 feet long or mm. something. But what it does is <clears throat> it actually lines the street and it 's really you know it was something we played with for quite a while before we could get it right, but it 's kind of interesting. the street is only fifteen feet behind that waterfall, and what we what we have is a layer of trees and hedging between the street and the waterfall but if you 're inside the property the the waterfall screens the noise of the street though it 's not a very busy street but but when you're even when you 're upstairs. You look at the waterfall, the trees. You connect to the trees on the opposite side of the street. You have no idea the street's there. It's very, it's actually very clever use of landscaping, which we worked really hard with the landscape firm on, to and the, and the client, so that you know you can make these things go away. So you create this environment. Um, luckily enough, on the other side of the house, everyone else is so distant that um, you know that bathtub, for example, and we often will place the bathtub against the window because you know reality is people don't take baths very often and if they do they just get in and out of the bathtub so you know you can be further back in that room and the bathtub will actually help you with your privacy concern but they're far enough away that you can have that feeling of expansiveness and openness in the bathroom and even be naked there and not particularly concerned about people seeing you because if they go to that much effort to see you um they probably you know (laughs) deserve deserve to have that privilege i guess you know (laughs) so um Though I will tell you, a lot of these bathrooms, you know, based on experience, you know, they, they look much better on a 20-year-old than a 50-year-old you know, with all that light in you know? there. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's still, you know, it's the light is what we're really after, the light and the view, you know. So, um,
0: One other project that I wanted to ask you about, because I, I just, it's so funny, looking at the stills, I can't stop looking at it, uh, because... You know, I sat, and I've, I sat and looked at this image for probably 20 minutes and I kept, oh, seeing, wow. I kept seeing new things. I kept seeing things. It was like, oh, I didn't realize that was there. Oh, that was interesting. I didn't realize that that was there. Um, it is the Robin project.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, I love that project. And we have Ooh, great memories. I do too. That one, yeah. <laughs> so it's... Um,
0: yeah go, ask, ahead. Ask
1: away Josh. No, go ahead no go ahead tell I me just, about
0: so,
1: this well it's it's a great project because the we we've done actually several projects with that client now and uh he's a friend and um we've had some great experiences there like uh we had his daughter's wedding there and uh, that that fire pit in the water in the the pool. We had. Uh, they had a band, uh, like a traditional band with uh, a cello and a violin and whatever. Like standing on that while people sat at the fire pit. It's a great memory. We've actually had had a proposal there where uh, a, a friend of mine who who does land use planning had taken his girlfriend there when it was just under construction. So he went back when it was finished and he proposed in that fire pit in the waterfall. So lots of really great memories at that house. And uh, it's, it's really, that's one thing that is, brings, you know, really so much joy to all of us, you know, that when when you have those experiences there and, and it's one thing not to forget about all, all these homes. Like I said, they're for people. They're not, they don't work without people in them. Um, There has been a couple of times over the years where we've had events at houses or dinner parties or parties, whatever. And one thing I've always loved to do is go and sit out at that proverbial fire pit or wherever it is at that particular house and just look in and look through the glass and and see the house alive with all the people in it. And uh, it's really, you know, it's wonderful. Anyway, I'm I'm waxing philosophically. and didn't answer your question, which you didn't get to tell me
0: yet. So one of the things that I was noticing as I'm looking at this is so the the pool is is completely organic, in the shape this uh, amazing fire pit sitting right in the middle of it with the bridge like you had referenced sort of that moat crossing idea, the the fire pit in the center, but the the lighting throughout this whole house this kind of reminds me of a treehouse it really does because it it almost looks like there's way more outdoor space it's real it's it's indoor as well because you've got you've got enclosing walls but it almost feels like it's it's almost entirely outdoors but then it becomes indoors as well so it's 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 completely uh it's it feels completely convertible
1: yeah that was really important to me um when when we were designing the house because you know it's a beautiful site uh and it has this spectacular view of the entire la basin but it does have as we said some challenges there are some some homes below it that are are you know rather old, and they have pretty decrepit roofs, and they, they do kind of spoil that so the, the first thought was you know push the pool to the boundary and follow the organic shape of the lot and then hold people back so they couldn 't see those roofs below and the other thing about that view is it 's such a big view it 's not a small view you know, if that makes sense like some views are are, are pastoral and some views are um, focused. This is like the entire LA basin, you know, and sometimes it's it can be just overwhelming. So, we had this concept right at the beginning of the glass pavilion In the garden and that we would be able to create this rather intimate garden space on one side and this very expansive panoramic view garden on the other side. And the idea that the glass would completely fold away. So if you're in the kitchen family room, you know, you really can, this is just one space that flows through the house. And it's very beautiful, that little garden, On the street side which is full of trees and water and just comfortable intimate spaces it's completely opposite on the opposite side of the room to the view so that was one of the the first things we kind of came up with is just this idea of this glass pavilion almost you know Somewhat inspired by, you know, Mies Van der Rohe's Farnswood House, or the many glass pavilions, Philip Johnson one, just the idea of the glass pavilion in the garden as a, as a starting point for the design. And how could we achieve that? And uh, it is one of the more successful parts of the house, I think.
0: One of the other things that I've seen you do in other projects, and I think it's completely represented here as well, you don't waste a single foot of space. Um, specifically, what I'm talking about is, you know, how you use the pool in connection to the house itself, how you use the existing yard, but also, and one of my favorite things, I just, I am a huge fan of the rooftop deck, but oftentimes you'll see structures that have an exquisite view anyway, and then they'll have, you know, other views from a second floor balcony or something like that, what have you. So they'll miss an opportunity. It appears that this one also has a complete rooftop deck on the structure. You didn't miss an opportunity to take advantage of it.
1: Well, what was interesting to Josh on that project is that, again, it comes from constraints. Um, Like there's a limit on the amount of square footage and there's a homeowners association here and there was a height limit that was pretty restrictive, but we felt that there was an opportunity. I mean, sometimes rooftop decks can just, they can be so exposed and you're just sitting on top of a building. And, you know, there's not really much in the way of shading or, uh, you know, uh, privacy. And here there seemed like there was an opportunity if we created a rooftop deck on top of the main living spaces, but not taller than the master bedroom level, the bedroom level, um, we could, create a more kind of intimate feeling rooftop deck that still felt connected to below, but but wasn't exposed to the entire neighborhood. And it is, you know, it's, it's really well used by, by the family. And it's kind of interesting, even I remember, you know, when, you know, we had that wedding there and the, the The younger people who were the ones getting married and their friends after a certain hour at night probably four they all moved to the rooftop deck and the fire pit up there for the end of the evening so it was creating another kind of totally different space that you could use that had a different feeling to the pool area or the garden area um and so that's that's we're always looking for opportunities where where can we create different feelings where can we create different opportunities different spaces that you make the most of the lot and uh, it is very interesting that you know the perspective you get from the rooftop deck is completely different from the perspective of the pool area so combining those in a property you know you can get so many more things out of it i think
0: i, I think it's i think it's magnificent and i think it's fantastic and i i think okay. that i I really, really do appreciate uh, you taking the time uh, to speak with me and to walk through some of these with me. To be perfectly honest with you, I could talk about this all day, but I want to let you out of the car. So.
1: <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. You know, I was going to add, though, uh, one little comment to uh, you know, those famous Frank Lloyd Wright quotes. You know, My favorite one was always that uh, a doctor can bury his mistakes, an architect can only plant vines.
0: Isn't it the greatest? The, you know, I, I, it's it's so funny you say that. Um, I love that quote. That's one of my favorites. I, I just on yeah. the pod, on the podcast this week. I'm publishing an uh, an episode that was recorded uh, from West Edge Design Fair last year, which has to do with it's. It was a conversation imagining the world without Frank Lloyd Wright in it. You know, my, you know, taking out all of his influences on the design and architecture community and what that world would look like and what we would be missing through his absence and in in preparing to publish that i got to go through a bunch of his quotes again and you know he was just so salty and cantankerous and
1: (laughs) yes he was
0: (laughs) and honest and talented and uh it's he's one of those characters it's just fun to read about
1: you know what, though? I think, I, I, not to keep going, but that 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 is the interesting thing about Lloyd Wright and what he brought to the table. It was a complete counterbalance to what the Europeans were doing at that stage. So, you know, Europeans were developing modernism as a machine, and mm-hmm. he was developing modernism as an extension of nature. And they're two so diametrically opposite approaches. But I think there, there's such great opportunities to learn from both, and I think it would have been a very sad architectural world if Frank Lloyd Wright hadn't existed. Um, and that, you know, kind of that counterpoint, I guess, to the to the dominant, you know, and th- th- this is at the, the, towards the beginning of what was is, was the American century, um, the the young upstart country, you know, <laughs> that was bringing this whole other way of thinking about modernism, that. At the time was somewhat looked down on I think by you know especially the Europeans who were kind of ruling the roost at that stage and um, I think he you know he was incredibly successful and, and an amazing showman as well but I, I feel like his legacy has stood the test of time in many ways better than many other architects. Yeah.
0: I I totally agree. And, you know, with, with your permission, um, maybe we can schedule some time to do this again. Um, absolutely. And, and talk about that because I think you're spot on and I absolutely love that conversation.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like as a... I, I'm an Irish architect who's had his career in California and that gives me like my two, one foot on each side of the Atlantic, <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, but it does give me a, un- a little bit of a unique perspective and I, and I can really appreciate both sides of that, that equation, I guess, and what they have brought to us. So I, I would love to talk to you about that another time in more detail.
0: Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Walker Zanger for your extraordinary partnership and thank you for listening. My goal is to bring you the stories behind Sublime Design, wherever that may be, to share those stories, bring you business strategies to help you build a stronger firm, and inspire you to do your most creative work. For more, please follow us on Instagram at ConvoByDesign with an X, and check us out at ConvoByDesign.com. Until next week, be well, and keep creating.